0: Hello and welcome to session 10 in our podcast. We're dealing with chapter nine in the vision book entitled The Principle of Twelve, and also chapter 11 covers this material in People with a Passion. Today we're looking at The Principle of Twelve. We developed our cell vision by modelling it on the G12 vision which was birthed in Colombia under the ministry of Cesar Castellanos. And of course that became identified with his ministry, a bit like a denominational trademark, Uh, and we were we're obviously not free to to come under his leadership and authority because we have our own lines of authority here in uh, Britain uh, as the Elam Pentecostal Church. We're happy with that. So we we looked at what was behind this. And it's it's not so much about a number as it is about a principle. So we call what we do uh, the cell model according to the principle of 12. So what is the principle of 12, you might ask? It's very simple. It is reaching the multitudes Jesus' way ministering according to the model of Jesus. Now, it's not a dogmatic, inflexible model, but at the heart of what Jesus did is the principle, which I think is the secret of how we can minister in mission today and to build our cell ministry. So, the principle of 12, what is it? First of all, it is not a dogma, and it's not being fixated on the number 12. Uh, Right. But it's a principle. Now, the number 12 does carry some scriptural significance, arguably. And I'll mention some of those later. But it's the principle that counts more than anything else. And the key is to understand that Jesus spent most of his time not with the multitudes. He did that. But most of his time, his quality time, he spent with a small team of people whom he carefully selected, his 12 who became the 12 apostles. He said, I I, I want them to be with me where I am, that I might send them out to teach and to preach. And in concentrating his ministry, pouring everything he had into the life of his 12, and you might also argue, remember, the principle of three as well, that he spent a significant amount of time with Peter, James, and John, his closest associates. But basically the unit was his group of 12, the 12 apostles. And he did this so that he could disciple them, train them, and ultimately release them to do the work of the kingdom of God, and that's exactly what happened. And uh, we covered this very, very briefly, but if you go to the very... Last verse of Matthew chapter 9, we have the, the, the sheep, people scattered like sheep without a shepherd and pray the Lord of the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. And then in chapter 10, the very first verse describes how Jesus did this. He said, then he called his 10 disciples, 12 disciples and sent them out to preach, giving them authority to preach the gospel and heal the sick. So when we talk about praying for the harvest, it's more important to pray about the workers. In other words, Jesus says, you build strong disciples. That's what I want you to do. Grow strong disciples, train them and equip them, and then send them out. So that's what Jesus did. And I, I, I don't th- see why we should try and you know, do it in a way that's different from Jesus. This principle can apply in any generation, any culture, anywhere in the world. It's a very basic principle of mentoring, of training and releasing. And uh, I believe that's exactly what happened in the very early church. Just days, weeks, months after Jesus was with them uh, saying these kinds of things and Jesus left, what did they do? They just went and did what Jesus did. They had 3,000 people added to the church on the day of Pentecost. What did they do? They began to gather uh, and leaders and train and send them out. This is a, a method which has been neglected in history, but every intuitive, instinctive, instinctive, sensitive person, to a person sensitive to the Holy Spirit, has been doing this. What we do in, in our ministry is to structure this and make sure we do it purposefully and in, with intention. Now, uh, there is a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman, and uh, he dis- he talks about the, the opinion of Billy Graham, perhaps the greatest evangelist of modern times, and uh, Robert Coleman talks about how Billy Graham was asked uh, if he had his time over again, uh, or rather, if you were a pastor of a large church in a principal city, what would be your plan of action? And Billy Graham said, one of the third things I would do is get a smaller uh, group of people, eight, ten or twelve people around me, and I would meet a few hours a week and pay the price. It would cost them something in time and effort, I would share with them everything I have over a period of years, then I would actually have 12 ministers among the lay people who could in turn take eight or 12 more and teach them. And I think one or two churches are doing that and it's revolutionizing the church. So you see, this principle of 12 is not some new uh, kind of uh, dubious addition from some obscure part of the world. This is embedded in the gospel. It's embedded in the gospels. It's embedded in, I think, in our psyche because the principle of 12 is about a primary group a number of people where we can know it's sociological principle as well a group of 12 people everybody can know each other pretty well individually not as much as you can get to know each other in your groups of three but you've got good strong relationships you've got variety you've got diversity you've got differences of personality and together it's a wonderful team and I want to encourage you to make one of your first goals this goal when you plan to your cell is to build your team of 12 now some say well why not 11 why not 8 why not 10 I'm not going to argue about that it's the principle it's the principle simply that we find in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 where God speaks to Timothy and says look uh, Paul speaks to Timothy and says what you have heard uh, and I've taught you you pass it on to others and so it's a very Uh, A strong principle of leadership in the New Testament. And so, now, just let you make sure you understand that the open cells, where it's evangelistic and you're bringing people in, they don't have to be limited to 12. But in leadership cells, where you stay together and you are forming and shaping leaders, really 12 is the optimum number in order to be fully effective. And so, When we do that, you see the leaders in uh, one group of 12 are taking care of the of the cells that are under them and taking care of the leaders under them. So this is not about pastoral supervision in some kind of hierarchy. It's a relational thing. We stay together in our groups of twelve and we build strong relationships. We're not constantly dividing that group and dividing it again and dividing it again in order to multiply cells. No, cells are multiplied exponentially as twelve primary leaders will have twelve cells under them. Um, I have 12 prime leaders under them, so that's 144. And then the next generation, there's 1,726 or 28, if I recall rightly. It doesn't matter, you do the math. And the point is is that in this, there is a generational experience. All right. And uh, we're going to come back uh, in the future and talk about how to reach the multitude, so we spend a bit more time on that later. But now I thought I would just emphasize some of the things that we can inf- uh, infer from the scriptures um, over the number 12. And I think nothing is in the Bible by accident. We can make too much of what people call biblical numerology, but when we when we look at certain things we, we find actually that there is really a, a principle here. There's a principle here. So one of the things that we see of the significance of the number of 12, let me tell you exactly what I'm doing here. We're looking at the principle of 12 and seeing, is there anything that we can, we can draw on which will give us encouragement and direction to, to shape our ministry? And any maybe there's some promises here that are coming to us because we're working with the principle of 12. What we know 12 in the Bible, amongst other things, is that the number of government. Um, you know, there are uh, 12 uh, lunar months, which is a, a government, in one sense, over the seasons. Uh, Jesus spoke to the apostles and said, you know, you're going to be sitting on 12 thrones and you're going to in the kingdom. So it's about government. There were twelve tribes. There were twelve tribal heads. So the number twelve does suggest the number of government. It suggests order, community, nationhood, um, and unity. And so, when when we work according to this principle, we are building more than just multiplying cells without any uh, real understanding of where we're heading no when we do this and multiply cells we are building a government we are building a community and uh, and there can be variety just as there was in israel with the 12 tribes second thing that i'd like you to think about is of course this is the apostolic number this is the apostolic number the 12 apostles um and um the, the number 12, or, or the statement, the 12, became a bit of a technical term. I mean, you, you look in the Scriptures and the Gospel, you find after the death of Jesus and after even Judas had left, the demise of Judas, they were 11 together, but the Scripture still calls them the 12. See, 12 is a kind of technical term. Which just goes to show that the number is not uh, necessarily mandatory, or that it has some kind of spiritual, magical quality. However, because of the 12 tribes, and I guess because of the 12 12, um, um, thrones and so on, they felt that Judas had to be replaced. And uh, on the Day of Pentecost, or in Acts chapter 2, it describes how they felt that. Um, they drew lots, which was possibly the last time that they used that Old Testament method of, of guidance. And uh, the lot fell on Matthias. And, and he had to be with the, uh, the 12 of the others, been friends or related to them or knew them, and he knew the whole story of Jesus from the beginning. And so the 11 was made up to 12. Uh, and so this is very definitely an apostolic number and they felt it was important that they should keep the number 12 alive and not to have 11 apostles but 12 apostles all right that's a historical thing that i think belongs in the pages of the new testament of course and those 12 apostles the foundation are they were the you know the foundational apostles they were the foundation of everything the witness and testament that we have today now But what I would like to suggest to you, and I think it's very simple, that when we move in the number 12, there is reflected in that number, in that principle, an apostolic ministry. And it's very, very important that you understand that this is an apostolic ministry. Now, it's not apostolic because we, we use the number 12. It's apostolic because the leadership of this ministry is apostolic. And you have to grasp this, and I want to really make it clear to you so that in no way can you ever be confused about this. When you are a cell leader, you minister under the apostolic authority, anointing, and release of the senior leadership. Colin and Amanda in this particular case, and our apostolic teams, you minister Under that authority. You don't minister of your own authority. You're not going and doing your own thing. As that old saying goes, Um, some are called and some are sent and some just took a microphone and went. No, you are under the authority. You don't do your own thing. You don't say your own thing. So you are under the authority, the apostolic authority and leadership of the church. uh, And you are equipped and released under that. Second thing. Because you are under the apostolic leadership, you are, you know, you are there under the united vision and you stand for the united vision of the church. So, you know, a lot of pastors that I speak to all over will say, oh, I can't possibly have sales. People will be teaching their own thing. It will be division in the church. No, because everybody is accountable to the vision of the house and the vision is from from above. It's the heavenly vision that we seek God about and we draw together. And that vision is as the Holy Spirit directs, not just this particular flow of his spirit amongst uh, Kensington Temple London City Church, which of course is but a part of the broader denominational network of Elam Pentecostal churches, which, of course, is is part also of a broader network of other Pentecostal churches, which are part of another broader evangelical church uh, groups uh, and denominations and tribes, which are part of a greater global witness to the nature and character of Jesus. So in all of this way, as we take care of the vision that God has given us, God pours out his vision and directs his church. So people do not just go about teaching what they want to teach. Well, this is what Colin says, this is what Amanda says, but I say to you, it's not like that. And so I call existing cell leaders and future cell leaders to absolute clarity on this you do not teach your own doctrine you do not teach your own ideas we are of course bound together by our doctrinal unity in the doctrinal confession of faith that we have which is the Elam one and uh, we are we sign up to that we sign a cell charter which means that we are committed to faithfulness to loyalty and all the things so that the church gets stronger what's the point of having a thousand cells if everything everything goes in in different directions what's the point of having trillions of cells in my body if whole bunches of those cells jump out and say we don't want to be part of this body we are doing our own thing hallelujah it would never work it is a monstrosity of an idea and so we, we are part of the apostolic authority under that authority functioning according to the apostolic vision of the house and we are finally part of the apostolic community of God's people. We operate as a community. It's not just that, that we are uh, having a small group. Now, let me just, let me just say, let me t- talk to you about something that I heard very recently. Um, and don't worry, I'm dealing with it, all right? So, uh, we heard that um, a cell leader recently said, oh, well, you know, I don't want to be part of Kensington Temple anymore, but I'm, I'm, going to be, I'm going to still keep my cell. I'm not part of KT, but I, I'm still running a KT cell. Huh? What? Okay, let me, let me show you. Let me just do this. I will not follow through on this illustration. I want you just to imagine it. Alright, imagine my index finger here, and imagine a very sharp knife. Let's talk, let's say, let's say one of those butchers, butchers knives, you know, one of those big ones. And I put my finger down and my finger says, ah, I don't want to be part of this body, I'm still going to, I'm going to function on my own. Okay, wham, off it goes. All right, now then, a bit dramatic. Now that finger wiggling around, around the table here ain't going to last very long, not at all. It's cut off from the body of which it was a part. It is as serious as that when you connect to any church. Did you know that? Church is not like different chains of supermarkets. You go to this one, I go to that one, maybe I go to this one, I can't have have time to go to the one I usually go to, I'm going to go to another one. That is a consumerist approach to the body of Christ, and you might as well take the body of Christ and rip it apart. But when you understand that we are members placed together by the Holy Spirit, you function and you flourish in the body where he has planted you. And so every cell uh, leader and every cell member is functioning under the authority of the church, carrying the vision of the church, and as part of the community of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I said that strongly, not because I think this is a particular problem in any way, but I just think we need, I need to say it louder and stronger, because of the traditional mindset that there is in Western churches, where church attendance is, is a matter of consumer preference. Um, and, you know, <laughs> I don't know how true this is right now, but I, I have used this illustration in the past. And it has been true from time to time. So there's, there's our receptionist sitting at reception, you know, um, Saturday or, or, or Friday evening. And the telephone rings, and they ring one after the other. And they say, okay, hello, hello, Kensington Temple, how can I help you? Oh, this is, um, I just want to know who's, who's on. Uh, who's on, on on Sunday? What do you mean, who's on? Who's preaching at the morning services? Oh, okay, it's Colin preaching. Yeah, And who's preaching at the truth? who's preaching at the evening? And, and then, <coughs> then, then, you know, oh, okay, well, um, yeah, uh, okay, I'm going to go somewhere else now. I'm going to go somewhere else. You know, in other words, they're, they're just making the choices. Now, so we flow together. And just to say, as we finish, this whole teaching of the principle of 12 is a generational vision. Originally, it took... Three generations, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and out of Jacob came the 12. And the 12 then built a a, a generational family, and then the 12 tribes, and a generational structure that extends permanently. So the number 12 speaks about all these things. It speaks about government, apostolic ministry, nationhood, community, and generations that your fruit should remain. God bless you. Uh, point of contact you'll find in the vision booklet to look at Jesus and his 12 and to see what you can learn for your ministry today thank you god bless you we'll see you on the next podcast